Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Joshua 1, 1 through 9. It says that now after the death of Moses, I'm going to link these two passages together. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. It's sad that he didn't have a father, but he was the son of nobody. It's a little preacher humor there for you, but nobody seemed to get the joke. You got okay, somebody got it. He was the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. This is the only way he would have known because Moses was taken on the top of the mount by the archangel Michael into paradise. Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I will give unto thee or give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, every place you put your foot, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. For the wilderness, from the wilderness, and this Lebanon unto the great river. If you don't know the story, he's just setting out the borders of where he's going to give them. The river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward um, the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Everyone say your coasts. He's saying this is the area that I'm going to give to you and your children. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And I, as I was with Moses... So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. He says it twice. That thou mayest observe and do according to all the law of which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. In other words, Keep my law, that thou mayest prosper whither to thou goest. And I'm grateful that it continues on to talk about them observing the law. But then it says in verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whither, whithersoever thou goest. I want to talk to you just for a little while about a generational blessing. Would you bow your heads to me, Jesus? We need you in this place. We need you to touch our hearts because words can only affect us if they're words of life. So would you touch us in this place and would you help us to understand your word in everything we do? We want to do it for you. And we do it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Every right choice you make is either going to bless the next generation or it's going to affect the next generation adversely. Every choice that we personally make in my life, I obviously know this, that if I make righteous choices, which is right things, that it will bless my children. If I am a man of integrity, which means I do the right things no matter who's looking, that that will be passed on to my children. Who you are when no one's looking is very important because for some reason that's caught by your kids and they can tend to understand who you are by how you model in front of them. And so I want to be a person of righteousness. How about you? 
That means just doing right things all the time. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person that passes excellence onto my kids. I want to be a person that passes an honorable life onto my children where people can speak highly. I want to be able to be a person who is helping others and being a blessing. I told my wife I was driving somewhere not too long ago. I think we were going to help somebody and I had been uh, working a heavy schedule and I just came off that schedule and I just went to serve and I wasn't planning on doing this. There, there was someone in our church that was sitting at a bus stop because their car broke down and they were trying to get to and from the hospital. And I, I found out about it by calling them and they're like, yeah, we're sitting in the sun at this boot, at this bus stop. And I was like, you know what? You shouldn't have to do that. I'm going to come and get you. So I drove into the city and I pull over to pick them up. And the lady that was next to me decided that she didn't like that I had pulled near the bus stop. And she goes by cussing me a blue streak. While I'm trying to do a good thing, somebody else is very unhappy with me. And sometimes that's how it is. You just have to realize that when you're doing something good, it doesn't matter who doesn't like it. You're doing it as unto the Lord. I wasn't just picking up some people from our church. I was actually serving the Lord by serving them. Do you understand what I mean by that? It means that no matter who you're helping, no matter how much you receive as a return of thanks, whether you receive any thanks or not, you are going to get a reward from God because he keeps a ledger on everything you do. And God literally says in Revelations that he rewards them according to their works. He's, I'm not talking about salvation right now. I'm talking about the rewards that we get from God because he remembers when you do something good. Amen? So there are seeds that are sown that will bless your children, and bless your future generations, your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren because of the way that you live, the choices that you make. I've heard people say, I'm going to live my own way, live it for myself. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Have you ever heard that kind of thinking, that kind of mentality? There's no such thing as you living your own life. There is no such person who lives or dies unto themselves. Your choices will affect your family line for generations to come. God promises that if we live right, the blessings that he wants to lavish on us, if he lavishes on them on us, they're not just for us, they're for the next generation. So literally, whenever we get blessed, we're not sometimes being blessed because God just wants to bless us, but he's looking down the generational line and he's seeing that I want to bless their children's children. I want to bless their grandchildren. And so therefore, I'm going to put this in their life. I was in kind of a low moment at, at one point in my life where we were struggling financially. And we, I, you know, it's one of those things where you have kind of two pennies to rub together and we were worried about making bills and I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's kind of a, anybody ever had any man worry? Any men in the room had man worry? Where man, man worry doesn't really come out that much. You don't talk about it that much, but it really processes in here and you're just constantly worried. I was doing that and I'm, and I'm just sitting there and I, at that low moment, I just kind of prayed a prayer because I had always been taught that God was going to bless me. And I have to, I have to apologize for all the 
the, the shallow sermons that are preached over pulpits where people just want to tap your foot and raise your hand and spin around twice and Jesus is going to bless you, you know. Put $5 in the offering and you go home and there's a Mercedes sitting in your driveway. That, that doesn't happen, okay. That, that's just people, that's television evangelists telling you to send them money. They are charlatans, okay. They are after money. I'm, I'm not talking about that and I apologize for any preacher who has ever sold you that kind of bill of goods because in in order to be blessed, it takes work. Amen? So what I'm talking about to you today is that if a generation that comes behind us is going to rise up and talk of God's blessings, we have to teach them that God has blessed us. And so I got to a low point and I said, God, would you somehow help me within the span of my children's life before they get out of this home, before they get out of my life and where I can reach them and I can teach them. Would you somehow help us to walk into our promised land, to walk into our blessing before they get beyond? Because I don't want them to define normal as broke. You understand what I'm saying? So I ask God, would you redefine normal and would you let me walk into my blessing before my children are grown? Because I believe that if they set their framework of what a blessing and what a blessed life is based upon anything broken, that they will constantly be living their life trying to reassess what it is to be blessed by God. Because they simply won't have the model of what it is to be blessed. And we are blessed. I was laying the other night with my wife and I just said, hey, honey, you know, we're just going to bed, sleep, going to sleep. And I said, we are so blessed and there's people in our complex. We live in this community, and there's a bunch of Indian people that have come into the community working for GE here. And they literally feel like they're living like princes and princesses because from their country to here, living where we live, they feel like it's just a lavish lifestyle. They truly love their lifestyle, living it. They literally just stand out in the streets because they have such freedom, and their kids ride new bikes because they have, they think, so much money now compared to where they were before and we we drive through them going would you please get out of the road you're you're blocking my progress I'm trying to get to a part because we're in such a hurry and on such a schedule and I realize that to them standing there with their kids and this life that seems so blessed I just I seem to want to drive right by it but if we stop for just a minute and realize how blessed we we are and, and not look at the difficulties of life but begin to look at the divine blessings in our life we can literally communicate that to the next generation. The Bible says over and over in the Old Testament that he was blessing them with a blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was literally saying, I'm blessing you with the blessing of your great-grandfather, your grandfather, and your father. That's how God saw it. Amen? So he wanted us to know that the blessings that we have in our life may not be because we work for them. Noah's children got on the boat because Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And if we would ever get to a point where we understand, if we can acquire a blessing for our children, that they will not have to pray for that blessing. They will not have to try to keep that blessing. That blessing will stay on their life. Because I don't know if I ever saw a place where Noah's kids prayed to get on the boat. I don't see a place where Noah's children literally sought after God. But I can see that Noah included them in his blessing by working with them and building Noah. Noah preached for a hundred years while he built the boat. Amen? So I imagine they sat through a lot of sermons. And I can't imagine those are all good sermons. 
I imagine some of them were dry. I imagine they fell asleep on a few of those sermons. But they were blessed nonetheless. I want my children and my children's children to be blessed because of me, not in spite of me. And sometimes you can be a stumbling block with the decisions you make, or you can be a stepping stone. I want my kids to go higher than I. I want I want the children of God to go higher than my spiritual walk. I want the young men that grow up in this congregation and learn how to preach to preach better than me. And someone said, well, that's not hard, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There was a, reminds me of a joke, because everything reminds me of a joke. Can you handle a joke in a sermon today? There's this minister, and he died, and he went to heaven. He's standing at the line at the pearly gates. And there's a gentleman right in front of him with a very loud T-shirt on, kind of like Tanner's T-shirt. And I, I didn't tell him I was going to point him out today, but I had to get him, because that shirt's so bright. So there's this guy with a shirt like Tanner's on at the pearly gates standing in front of him and he's got like flip-flops on and he's got, you know, his, his shorts and his shirt on and, and he's standing there and he walks up and, and St. Peter asks, well, what's your name? And he said, well, my name is John Cohen. He goes, I'm a taxi cab driver in New York. And so he looks through and he goes, oh yeah, okay, John, here's your golden staff and your silk robes. Welcome to heaven. And then the next guy walks up who was standing behind him, and he said, who are you? He goes, I'm John Simmons, pastor of St. Mary's Church. And he goes, oh, okay, yeah, I see. Oh, you get a cotton robe, and you get, come on in, church is in here. I don't know who that was. You get a cotton robe and a wooden staff. He goes, what? What in the world is this? He got a golden staff and silk garments? He goes, well, up here, heaven works on results. And when you preached, a lot of people fell asleep. But when he drove a taxi, a lot of people prayed. So (laughs) heaven works on results. Our children have enough stuff in this world to overcome without having to deal with our negative baggage, though. So we have to learn how to pass on a blessing that's a generational blessing. There's a generational curse talked about in the Bible that's passed on to the third and the fourth generation. But when God does something, he does it better than a curse. So if we talk about a generational blessing, I wonder how many generations that passes on to. Think about that for just a minute. If you can get a blessing in your life for you, it could affect 10 generations later. I know it does. Because I've seen it happen, and I want my children to be blessed. I'm talking about a generational blessing today, amen? I think it's so great that Cindy carries her grandmother's name. She's walking in the blessing of someone who gave her life to God. To the point that maybe we don't even understand how God works and why God had to take her. But I just think there was a place, some place for her that he needed her. And every time you say her name... You're speaking the generational blessing that God put on Cindy Sweeney over her life that God gave her for her children. So her great-grandchildren and Cindy Joy's children, should the Lord tarry and not come back, shall be blessed. And we have to understand that there are some things that we fight all of our life that were given to us that we shouldn't hang on to. There are generational curses that tried to be handed down to us that we should just shrug off. Amen? That Jesus literally said that we can break every chain and every yoke and every bondage. The Spirit of God can break that for us. 
And so I come to tell you that I want to pray a generational blessing over this congregation today. I want to pray a generational blessing over children of this congregation today. And I want to pray a generational blessing over you. There's a special story to me of blind Bartimaeus. Anybody know that story in the Bible? Blind Bartimaeus, he sat by Jericho's road and he would beg, shake money in a cup and he would ask for alms and he heard that Jesus was coming he was blind and of course he could not necessarily see but he could hear really well because that's what happens senses accelerate when you lose one the others kind of pick up where that one left off and Jesus comes walking and he hears the crowd moving and he realizes Jesus must be close and he begins to cry to God and what I like is he cried out to Jesus until Jesus called, he literally called out to the Lord. He like, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And, and it's an example that if we would get desperate for God, he will stop in his tracks and turn. So he called for God till God called for him. I like that. And what he did was something very, very subtle, yet very, very important. Because in those days, whatever clothes you wore said who you were. From a distance, you could tell whether someone was royalty, whether someone was a beggar, whether someone was infer- had an infirmity. They wore certain clothes and they would weave certain things into the clothes and they would put certain hymns on the clothes and it just said who you were from a distance. So when someone was walking up, you not only could tell what kind of status they had economically, how much money they made, but you could tell whether their fam- what their family did by the clothes they were wearing. And so in the scripture, it literally says that when Jesus heard blind Bartimaeus calling out, asking for Jesus to come and heal his blind eyes, that he stopped and he said, bring him to me. And they comforted blind Bartimaeus and said, it's okay, it's okay, Jesus has heard you. He wants you to come to him. And so they helped him up. I just imagine the scene. They help him up and they're going to take him to where Jesus is and help him through the crowd. And he said, hold on just a minute. I have to take off my coat. And it doesn't seem like much, but his coat represented who he was because his coat said that he was a beggar. And even more importantly, his coat said that he was a blind beggar. And he had enough faith to know that when he got to Jesus, he wasn't going to need what his coat said anymore. So he literally knew that there was a blessing coming to his life where he should take off his jacket. And the Bible says he takes off his coat and he leaves it by the road because he knows that when he meets Jesus, he's going to heal his eyes. And he won't need a coat that says, I'm a beggar anymore. And he won't need a coat that says, I'm blind anymore. Because when you get touched by the master, there's a blessing that comes. And so he literally left his coat on the road. Because it said, I'm a blind beggar, going to always be one. But when he heard Jesus called for him, he knew that when Jesus touches you, you're never the same. Everything you are, everything you will be, must change when Jesus touches you. Most of us spend our lives taking off coats that we were handed to us by others. I know I was abused as a child. I know what it's like to try to take off coats. You're given things that don't seem to work right for you. You, you start to live your life and build your family, and all of a sudden things just, it just doesn't fit right. The coat just, and it's things that maybe your parents handed to you that were, that were thought processes and ideologies, and you're like, 
you know, that just, that doesn't work. And you kind of try to get out of those places where you were and the thoughts that you have, but you can never get out of the garments of glory, amen? You can never get out of what the scripture calls a, a garment of praise because it is something that God gives it to you and it always fits, amen? So blind Bartimaeus was in the right place with the right purpose, calling on the right person to receive the right promise. I believe that's why John tells us in John 3 that we must be born again of water and spirit. I believe it says that referring, obviously, water referring to baptism and spirit referring to spirit and filling because we have been handed some things that don't bless us in life. And maybe you've come through a rough life. Maybe you had a difficult life growing up. Maybe you, like me, had a parent that went to jail and other things like that in your life. Maybe you experienced things that you knew could not bless your life. But that's why I'm grateful to stand here before you and say that my curses from my generation were taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why it's so beautiful to me that I don't have to worry about where I came from and who I was and what I did. Because it's all why under the blood. Romans 5 and 12 says, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But then in verse 15 it says, but not as the offense, so also it is free. It is a free gift for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, I believe that's talking about the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to just a few, no, to many. We, how many know you're a child of the Lord? You're a child of God. Verse 19 says, for as by one man disobedience, many, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Amen. I'm grateful the righteousness of God was put on my life. How about you? Moreover, the law entered and that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, I'm grateful that grace did much more abound. That at, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. How many have Jesus Christ as your Lord? I've been washed by the blood. I've been sanctified by the Spirit. I've been born again under a blessed bloodline. So don't come and tell me I've got curses still in my life, because I don't, because I'm living as God's child. And that spiritual blessing has translated over into my natural life, because His super always touches your natural when you surrender it to Him, and He does a supernatural work. Now I can be truly blessed, because I know that He he can take all things and work them together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So since that is our example today in this blessing service of giving a child to God, we should thank God for his sacrifice through Jesus Christ. Moreover, I think we ought to praise him. We ought to thank him. We ought to have a heart that is overwhelming with joy because I believe that we are children who are blessed. I'm glad for my mother's blessing in my life because she taught me truth and salvation. And that has blessed me entirely. The Bible says that praise, that in Psalms will praise thy works. The generation will rise up and praise thy works and declare 
the mighty acts. The word declare is nagad in the root. I don't usually pull up the Greek or the Hebrew, but it literally means, when it says to declare God's mighty works, it literally means to tell, announce, report, declare, make known, expound, to inform of, to publish, to declare, to proclaim, to avow, to acknowledge, and even to confess. So number one, and I have four short things and I'm done. Number one is we have to teach our kids that we dedicate to God. If we're going to give them a generational blessing, we have to teach them consistency. Because there's no success without consistency. Give them a consistent God. Because life is not always consistent. Our emotions can't always be consistent. But God is. Amen? All right. That's number one. Everyone say number one. All right. You need to have the consistency. You can't get anywhere in life without a consistent a consistent process in your life. Teach them to, to work a good job and be consistent on that job. Teach them a work ethic that's consistent. But more importantly than that, teach them the consistent character of Almighty God. Because while I personally have seen children that come in on a bus ministry where we have buses that would go out and pick up kids, and they would literally be pulling them out of projects. They'd be pulling them out of places that are just the most difficult home situations you could even think of, and then it was worse. And these kids would come, and they weren't even bathed, and they weren't. Even, but they would come into Sunday school rooms, and they would sit down, and a teacher would begin to teach them about a consistent, almighty God. And through that one consistency, through having God in their life, that one consistency and all the other myriad of mess that they had in their life, all the other inconsistencies that were in their life, that one consistency, that one anchor would make a missionary out of that kid. And they would go to Africa or Indonesia or they would go to the Philippines and they would be a minister and preach the gospel all because someone pulled a bus in front of their door and said, is it okay if your kids go? And I remember, even my wife remembers that whenever she was in Beloit, she had to go in sometimes and dress these little kids because mom would be on the couch strung out on drugs and there would be stuff going on in that home and there's just things that you wouldn't even want to talk about over a pulpit going on in that home but they would huddle up those sweet little babies and they would take them to church and those kids would grow up and for some reason they would start shrugging off the stuff that didn't work and they wouldn't they wouldn't go into a drug life and they wouldn't go to where they were hooked on alcohol and they wouldn't find something in a bottle that they needed to find in God because they'd already found God they'd already found the true consistency they'd already found a place of success because he was the greatest consistent thing in their life one day one day those kids turn and they say if it hadn't been for the cookies and Kool-Aid at Sunday school I couldn't I, I very possibly wouldn't have been here I'd be gone already my lifestyle would have destroyed me I would have got shot in the streets I would have been taken out and thank God for people who are willing to get up early on sleep deprivation and drive and pick up kids just to give them a consistent God. So that's one. We have to give a consistent God to the world. And then number two, we have to teach our kids that there are some things worth owning. Amen?
it's practical, but I was taught that you need to own some land in life. You need to have a place to call your own. And since I moved into Brookfield, land is really expensive. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Owning land here. But not only do is there some sort of a blessing with having your own land, somehow it, it makes a home, a homestead, a place that's yours. Because I've got money in my pocket, but they can print that. I mean, the Fed can just start running $100 bills off just because they want to. But they're not making any more land. Nobody's making land. So when God promises the children of Israel land in Joshua that I read to you, that first chapter, he's promising them something that nobody else can reproduce. And so you have to understand that when we, t- when we teach our kids, they need to own something. I'm talking about they need to own their lifestyle. They need to own their responsibilities. They need to own their choices. They need to own everything in their life. You've got to sum up for them that someday I'm not going to be able to protect you. And you're going to be responsible for every choice you make. And if it's good, you will have the blessings of that. And if it's bad, you will have the curses of that. So Moses tells us, so the scripture tells us that Moses had passed away. And Joshua was told, wherever you put your foot, I'm going to give you that. I think I'd like to preach a sermon at some point called the give and take of God, Sam. I I think I'd like to do that because... There is times whenever we ask God, God, would you just give to me? Would you give me that? Would you give? And God's saying, well, if you take it, then I'll give it to you. The picture is that we get a revelation of what God wants for us, but then we have to fight to get it. And sometimes we, as I said, we have a mentality of just, if we just come and pray a prayer, if we just do this or do that, God will just drop it into our life. But sometimes you're going to have to fight for some things. You're going to have to fight to provide for your kids if you're a single mom. You're going to have to fight to be a Christian in a place where there's not very many Christians possibly. You're going to have to be a person who not only says, I want from God, but literally put your foot in that place and says, I'm going to take it. And God says, if you will put the natural there, I will put the supernatural with it. Like I just said a minute ago. So he literally tells Joshua, if you go and take the land. Now, I don't know if you know the story. I'm finishing up on this. I Hopefully hopefully you have some background. But literally they had a promised land promised to them, but it was inhabited. And Joshua's not just going to walk into the land and say, hey, God gave me this land. We'll see you. God said there's houses that are built that you don't have to build, but they're yours. There's wells dug, but they're, they're somebody else's right now. But you're going to go and you're going to take them. And the physical action of them going and possessing the land required that they put their foot into the land and take it. So now God promises them and says, be strong and be of good courage, for I am with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. How many want God to be with you as he was with your parents to be with you? That's one of the generational blessings. But the problem is Joshua did not have a stick. 
Joshua did not have a pole for people to look at with a snake on it to be healed. Joshua did not have all the things that Moses had. Joshua didn't extend a staff out over the water and the waters part. So, but God said, I'm, as I was with you, I'm going to be, with Moses, I'm going to be with you. But he was teaching Joshua that wherever you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. So it transferred to something different. It wasn't something in his hand. It was something where his feet went. And so if we teach our kids that they have to own everything, wherever your foot goes, whatever you do, whatever action you take, you have to own that action. You will bless their life because you can teach them to go after what they want in life. You can teach them to be blessed because they have gone after it. If they want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor. If you want to be a lawyer, you can be a lawyer. You can encourage them to go after what, what they see and they want. And God will direct that. Amen? So I found in a place that if I was imagining myself as Joshua, I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable because he starts out to the sea and he's going to part the waters just like Moses did. And he's going to need to now step in the waters before they part instead of, I mean, Moses was like the man of God, right? He's like, part the I, I don't know, maybe, uh, yeah, Charleston Heston kind of voice. He's like, the waters must part. <laughs> and the water rolls back and the fish are swimming and they're like, you know, they're walking along and they get hot. They just stick their head in the water, you know, cool off a little bit. So there's this big, you know, Moses has his hair and beard blowing in the wind and he's a powerful man of God. And he's all of Israel is standing behind him believing, Moses is, Moses is the man. He's going to do it. He's the man of God. And now here's Joshua standing there with nothing. He's like, well, God told me he's with me. I think this will work. And he's like, water, part. And nothing happens. There's no wind. There's no Charlton Heston voice. Joshua is just a scrapper. That's all he knows is fight for everything. But there's a reason why God put Joshua as the leader to go into the promised land and not Moses. Because Moses could lead them through as a man of God. But in order for them to get their blessing, they were going to have to fight for it. So God needed Joshua, who was a scrapper, to go get the delivering blessing. So God literally ordained Moses to step off the scene so he could put a man in charge that would go, part! Well, that didn't work. I guess I'm going to get in the water because this water's parting. We're going to the other side. And everybody back here is going, he's not like Moses. Dear Lord, help him. And they're all embarrassed because they're thinking this is not going to work at all. And what God is teaching us is that it took a person who was aggressive enough to go after it to get it. So teach your children to own it. Number three, show them your blessings are normal. Show them to expect blessings from God. Hear me carefully. We are created in the image of God and in his likeness. Amen? So as a creative being, we have the ability to speak and whatever we say can be a creative word. It can literally form our lives. If you say, I can do it, you can. If you say, I can't do it, you're right. You can't. Because you've said so. You're a creative being. We're created in his image. So therefore, we're creative. God does not invest in anything he doesn't expect a return from. Amen? Amen. 
So therefore, if God expects a return from everything he puts into, that whenever we invest ourselves in something, we should expect a return from it. Amen? Not only that, but if God is invested in our life, he should expect a return from us of praise and glory to him. Amen? So if we teach our kids that whatever causes an investment should cause a return, and we teach them that blessings are normal, then they will learn to expect from God that it is literally his character to receive things back from where he invests himself. So therefore, if God has blessed our life, we should be at the house of God on Sunday returning a blessing to God. If he gives something to us, we should have a lifestyle that returns glory to God. Amen? Because what he, wherever he gives, he expects. And it literally is against God's character not to get a return. Because of the way God is designed. So if we teach our children expectancy, they will know that wherever they invest their self, God will give them a return somewhere. And if you teach them that, they will never be upset about someone not thanking them, not appreciating them, not patting them on the back, not going, good job. I'm glad you were here to help. If no one says anything to them, they will know they're getting a return from heaven. That's where I started. And I finished with this. Number four, do you know what the greatest thing you can know about Jesus is? Would you, st would you stand with me? Do you know what the greatest thing you could know about Jesus is? My wife shared this with me because she was praying the other night and she said she felt like the Lord was speaking to her. And so we got to talk last night and I told her that's going to end up in my sermon because I really liked it. She said she was praying about revival in the Indian speaking people that, um, that are in our complex because we really feel like God's going to reach them. Melody, we really feel that. And she was asking God, how do I reach to those folks when they don't know Jesus at all? And she felt like God said, do you know what the greatest thing you could know about Jesus is? And I was like, that he died for us. There's no greater love. And she's like, oh, there it is, that he loves you more than anything else. And no matter what happens in your life, he's going to stand beside you. And don't think he's the type that will come in to your life and leave you like all the others will. Sometimes people leave our life and we think, well, maybe Jesus is the same. He's not like that. He won't walk out on you. And then the Bible says in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you enough to bless you. And so go and do an inventory in your mind. Would you close your eyes with me quickly? And while your eyes are closed, would you do a quick inventory of all the blessings that you have? Maybe you don't have the blessings of health and strength at the moment, but you might have the blessings of grandchildren. Maybe you don't have the blessings of a lot of money in the bank that you've acquired over your lifetime, but 
but you have some great riches in a marriage where your wife has held on to your hand or your husband has been there for you through it all. Through thick and thin, there's been somebody there. Maybe you don't have what you thought you'd have at this point in life. But I want to pray right now that God would help us to see the blessings in our life greater than the difficulties. Jesus, as I pray this quiet prayer, would you touch a heart today to leave this place and realize that my choices do matter. My decisions bless the next generation. Would you help there to be someone that turns their heart today towards you, that puts their faith in you, God, to believe that you're going to give them the strength to live for you? Would you touch the innermost parts of our being? Would you pray this prayer with me? Would you just let this be your prayer right now? It's okay if maybe, maybe a tear comes to your eye because you've had a difficult life or you've had some things that have come up just lately that have really weighed on you physically and maybe you're just here and you're just completely stressed out and you don't know how to decompress I promise you that Jesus loves you through it so not only does he love you but he puts his love in you so that you have the capacity to love him and I'm praying right now over somebody I extend my hand to pray that God you would fill somebody full of your love today so much that you give them abilities that you give them the strength to love you back just as much would you expand our hearts today Jesus would you reach somebody today would you make us a righteous people would you extend your holiness upon us Jesus make us a holy people Would you put a generational blessing on somebody right now that has not had a blessing up to this point? They just, they don't maybe even know what it's like to walk in blessings. It's just been one fire after another that they've had to put out in their life. It's just one relationship crash after another. And right now, they really long to feel true love from you. Would you put a blessing on their life, God? that extends to a generation. Would you reach over and take the hand of the person next to you? Somebody needs a touch, a human touch that represents a spiritual touch right now. If you're comfortable, would you take the hand of the person next to you and would you pray for them right now? There's hands gathering all across this room. There's people that really need a touch from God in this room today. I feel like there's someone who's going to own some things that they've needed to own for a long time. They're going to they're gonna confess some sins to God and they're going to have Him make them righteous today. There's going to be somebody that invests their faith in a God who loves them where they may have thought God wasn't really there for them and they're going to believe Him again and He's going to come close right now. Squeeze the hand of the person that you're holding in Jesus' name. Would you work faith into that heart? Would you work hope into that life? Would you turn them around by your constants, God? Would you be the constant in their life when everything else tries to shift and move? Would you be the constant in our our life, I pray? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. 
That's it, just continue to pray for just a few minutes as they sing. Would you make the words that they sing your prayer right now? If you could sing, would you sing it to the Lord? To be close to you. 